Hey, folks, Tom and Keith thanking you for tuning in each and every week to listen to Front Row Knowles via the podcast. And a special thank you to the folks at the Dunlap Champions Club for their continued support of this podcast. A great place to watch Florida State ball game. a great place to have a good time. Remember, you can access the club on Friday night. You can go there on Saturday. You can repeat it on Sunday, an entire weekend of events. Whether it's for personal fandom or if you want to entertain clients, employees, social groups, uh, there's different packages available. You can get a single game uh, ticket experience as well and just sample it uh, at one game this year. Some new features, too, uh, from year one. They've got misters and fans in there, and they also are really emphasizing uh, flavorful food, but with a local connection, local tie, expanded food opportunity. John Rivers of Four Rivers will be in there preparing. Uh, also, you can get Bradley sausage for those of you that remember that. How, how do I get more information? They can get more information by calling uh, 850-644-1830, option one, or you can visit fsuclubseats.com. Thanks again to them and enjoy this week's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Hello, everybody. Happy Hump Day. Welcome to Front Row Knowles. Tom and Keith with you, and we will talk Florida State football ad nauseum over the next hour. KJ, how are you? Doing well. Doing well. Come down from my disappointment. Anger, disappointment, and now maybe I'm somewhere close to even keel. It's like the normal grieving process, right? you got all these steps you got to go through. That's actually where I was going to start. So two two notes. First of all, if you have not heard and you're under a rock, game time for Saturday has been moved. So kickoff will be at 12 noon against Louisiana Monroe. And that obviously has to do with Irma. Though we don't know the path, we do know that uh, probably half the season ticket base lives in Orlando, Tampa, and South, and those people are in the cone. Are, are in the cone, and uh, so uh, Louisiana Monroe can get in and out of town easier. Thus, that decision made. But uh, for those of you who don't know, we also do a Sunday, Seminole Sunday edition of Front Row Knowles that just started this week. It runs through football season, where Keith and I, in the middle of the night, rehash the game. And it is 60 minutes of quality content, I can assure you. But we did this at about 4 in the morning, uh, or uh, give or take a few minutes, after we got back from Atlanta. And so that was the initial discussion about the game. Now you have let it breathe for another 72 hours or so, whatever it is. And you feel a little bit better, is my sense. Slightly better, although the game is not like a fine bottle of red wine, where you open it up, decanter it, and it gets better right, with, with time. Age. You know, I, I, I think the, I, my I, biggest thing, my biggest thing, that I was concerned about when I was driving back to the house at what, five o'clock oh, in the morning early. is how would the fans and how would the media react? Would they give credit to this Florida State defense for an outstanding performance? Would they acknowledge that if not but for some just horrendous play in the special teams, Florida State was right there? Not saying they would have won, not saying they wouldn't have gotten beat by 10 or 14 points. But would everyone understand the bigger picture of that particular ball game? And for the most part, I think that has been the reaction from both the fans and the media, an acknowledgement that that was a very good ball game. It if not but for some unusual things would have been a great ball game. I'm only going to add one little asterisk there to that because I do agree for FSU fans and media who cover FSU. I think for national media that don't know as much about this team, they looked at it and you know there was clearly some points you could pick out that are a disaster and for the time being they've written Florida State off. That said, I went back and looked at it. FSU sitting at number 10 in the AP poll right now. 2013 going into week two, FSU was number 10 in the AP poll. Obviously, how about that? You got to win out. But the point is, all is not lost. Now, we'll get to the quarterback situation and all that. But I going back to your your fine bottle of wine reference here. I kind of I'm going to look at it like two bottles of wine. So so you're going to get drunk. One of (laughs) one of them aged very well. And that had to do with the defensive performance and really the offense performance, too, because I think there's a lot to be happy about there. But the other one was a, a big bottle of special teams two buck chuck and it it's down to like 50 cent (laughs) chuck right now uh and and the reason for that is everybody knows it's been hashed out already there was a plethora of problems i'm hoping that they got everything out of the way in one game 
But here's what you can't fix. You can fix scheme. You can find a guy who can catch a punt. You can you can teach Keith Gavin, I would think, to not try to make a play when one's not there. But we got to punt and place kick better. And I'm not sure how you fix that right now in week two of because the season. Because that, that might potentially require other people. And you don't have those other people. Right. Is, and, is where you're going. Well, I mean, Logan has a tremendous leg, struggled last year. Some of that maybe was nerves, transition. I thought we would see a natural progression, and we didn't. Now, it was one game, but we didn't. And matter of fact, we saw a regression. And then when you look at Aguayo, and I didn't go back and look at that kick specifically to see, was the, was the kick low kick or was it pressure? I, I was led to believe, I haven't gone back and looked at it either, but on the one replay that I looked at, the ball looked low. Now, it was a nice play by Alabama to get through the crease and get a hand up. But, yes, the ball looked low. So the point there is, if you remember back to the Orange Bowl on the blocked PAT, he's now had two of his last three kicks blocked. And some of that's got to fall on him, not just on protection issues. So that's where my concern is with the special teams. And, and I think it's justified. Uh, and, you know, way back when, Tommy, uh, to, to bore our uh, listeners to tears, you know, when they went from eight coaches to nine coaches on the field, there was a momentum or a movement or a thought that maybe that should be a special teams coach, and, and they really didn't do that. Well, you know, we have a 10th coach coming on board in January. Everybody can hire a 10th on-the-field coach. I'm wondering uh, whether that will be uh, an epithet to hire a full-time special teams coach that does nothing but coordinate those, uh, those uh, squads. We'll wait and see. I don't know if it will be, but if there's a school that could make a case for it right now, it feels like that might be something to look at. Of course, I've long thought that, uh, you know, when you go to practice, kickers and punters are just on their own, you know, from when you played. As one of the guys was out there sweating and hitting, you guys hated the kickers because they're over there, you know, they're playing paper mache or cup football sometimes. They were they were not practicing. Now right, the, that, that's my point. The one thing I will say in the defense of of Logan and I don't I just don't know the history, but the one punt that he had that went what 9 yards, you know, everybody has gone to that almost like a drop kick when you're when you're trying to pin the ball inside the 10 because you're trying to get that backward rotation not the spiral off the side of your foot like you do on regular punts where the nose goes up and hopefully the nose turns over and you get distance they're now trying to kick it end over end like you kick it off of the tee right but kick it in the air and i don't know it's sort of like it's sort of like changing golf clubs so it's not gonna go and i don't i don't know how long he has been attempting to do that i don't recall how many times he did or did not attempt to do that last year so if that was something new, then then maybe we give him a pass on that one that was short. But certainly uh, the, the protection breakdown on the block punt was – I mean, there were two people that messed up. If you've read the, the Jimbo's comment on it, uh, the guy at the line of scrimmage and then the three people across decided to go left, and this guy was coming from the right and had a Drake shot at Logan. And right. The, what, you know, at, I'm also torn, and then we'll get off this kick – I remember a couple of times because I I played with who I consider the second best punter in the history of the NFL, Ray Guy being number one, Ron Stark being number two. He was at Florida State uh, in college when I was there. I would see Stark pull the ball down and run when he knew he was fixing to kick it into a block, if that makes any sense. Right. Now, he was also a decathlete that dang near qualified for the Olympics. Uh, He was not just a kicker. He was a great athlete in and of his own right. Does that ever get talked about? Has Logan ever co- coached about that? You know, if you if you look up and you see and you know it's done, what pull it down? You'd be like Willie Stargell in the old, uh, com- you know, he'd slide into third. He's out by three feet, so he's calling timeout as he's sliding. <laughs> <laughs> Logan's looking at the ref trying to call timeout. This is obvious, but the special teams. If you had an offense that was the 2013 offense that was going to average 51 points per game. Well, you could probably miss some field goals. You could get away with some punts that were bad. You could miss some extra points. But when you have a team with a freshman quarterback, even though there's a lot of talent, that probably is going to be better on defense this year, really good on defense, than they are on offense, it would be nice if you could kick the ball, punt the ball well, pin people deep and play defense and win that way because this defense is really doggone good. By the way, I went back, and if my numbers are correct, Florida State ran 60 offensive plays. Alabama ran 60 offensive plays. And there were 27 special teams plays. 
So it's it's a third of everything you do, right, revolves around punt, return punt, kickoff, return a kickoff. I hadn't counted up the numbers, but that is. I mean, you hear about it being a third of the game. Certainly in a game like that where Alabama and Florida State are not tempo teams, they're going to run 90 offensive plays. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, so the game time again for Saturday against Louisiana Monroe has been shifted to 12 noon. We'll talk about the quarterback situation. Our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt will join us shortly. It's also Hall of Fame weekend at Florida State, which means that uh, several former stars will be inducted into the FSU Hall of Fame, including a guy we work with on the radio network, William Barnon Floyd. So he's going to join us in just a little bit. But uh, I do need to mention uh, a couple of things. First of all, this is what the creative folks at Centrale Italian Parlor do. Yesterday was National Cheese Pizza Day. So guess what was on the menu at a reduced price? I'm going to guess a cheese pizza. Yeah, it was five bucks yesterday. Pretty good deal. Now, it nothing does, gets past me. Doesn't do me any, you any good that I'm promoting that right now since it was yesterday, but you get to, you know, just pull out the calendar. If it's a day of some sort, they'll have a promotion for it, centraliitalian.com. Uh, also, as a reminder, the Friday night block parties this year, if you've gone to those, are moving to uh, Madison Street in College Town. Uh, this week, uh, a country act, uh, Smithfield with uh, Maggie Bow. And so that's uh, on tap this Friday night right out in front of Centrale Italian. Anything else? That'll do it. I checked the boxes. You did good. We'll see if Tim Linnefeld can check the boxes when we roll on on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, we didn't even update the walk-up music because uh, aside from special teams, which we already discussed, Keith, we were pretty pleased with uh, the rest of the happenings overall as we go to the uh, Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together online at earlbacon.com. And we say hello to our good friend Tim Linnefeld, who's our Seminoles.com insider. Tim, how are you? I'm doing great, Tom. How about yourself? Good. Keith and I... uh vented about special teams in the first segment so we're going to move the conversation along and the million dollar question is who is james blackman and what can you tell us about him well uh he is a freshman quarterback he's from bell glade and i can tell you that that i was really impressed with him uh throughout august and, and during fall camp during the portions we got to see he, he just looked really really good um you know to me uh, he looked exactly like you would want your quarterback of the future to look like uh, now obviously that uh, that future that timeline has been accelerated dramatically i don't know that anybody expected him to be playing week two of the 2017 season probably not even him uh, at least not uh, as when he got here but uh you know look man i mean he's a freshman so uh, everything that goes along with that but he has a i think a really nice arm really accurate and, and talking to some of the players uh you know and veteran players um he uh, he has a way about him in the huddle. You know, Jimber Fisher said he has a certain presence, and he said when it, when it comes to quarterbacks, you can kind of tell if a guy has that presence or if he doesn't. Yeah. And James Blackman apparently does. Uh, talking to some of the offensive linemen, I think Landon Dickerson said that, that he has a way of speaking, a way of saying things that makes makes guys want to follow him and, and, and be led by him. And so you know, those are things that I think are probably pretty uncommon for a, a true freshman, uh, but certainly positive things for, for Florida State as they get ready to, to navigate the season with him. He doesn't have a nickname yet, does he? We, do we get to call him String Bean or something like that? I mean, I, he's six five one ninety, right? Maybe maybe you have to play your first game to get a uh, to get a nickname. So what I happens? One could be coming. I actually saw somebody on Twitter last night suggested Slim Reaper. I don't. And, but my my thought was. Can we let the kid play a game before we give him a nickname? I understood. I do think, Tim. That's what I said. Yeah, I've heard it. Yeah, exactly. No, I was agreeing. I just didn't give you credit. I'm sorry. Proper attribution. Tim said it, too. And first. Um, Everybody I've talked to seems to be pretty optimistic about it. But you get through all that, and then there's the buddy's a true freshman part of it. So buddy's a true freshman. How does that look or play out or factor into the equation, Tim? Well, I think that's kind of the the big question, right? You know, we just don't know. There, I mean, there are a lot of talented true freshmen out there, and I think that uh, in this era of college football, and we expect more of true freshmen than ever before. Uh, 
But, you know, look, that's that's a position where, you know, as the cliches go, he touches the ball every single play. Uh, and I think that maybe younger players are more prone to being inconsistent. You know, we can look really good one day and not so good other days. I think we've seen that with, with other young players at Florida State before. It's, it's been a while since they've actually had a true freshman at quarterback, but you saw it, you know, uh, in, in 2011, Clint Trickett ha- had moments like that. Some other guys have, have had times where it's just it, it's harder to predict what you're going to get on a, on a day-to-day basis, but the the, the top-end talent is there. The overall talent is there. It's just you know, a matter of, of you know, what, what are they able to do on, on a week-to-week basis and also how are other teams and other defensive coordinators able to better scheme and prepare for them once they get some more film on them. You know, it's not all that unlike, at least I don't think, uh, a baseball player who, who gets called up from the minor leagues and, and has a really a good time hitting for a week or two until opposing pitchers get a book on them. You know, we'll see what happens when defensive coordinators get a book on them. But I think in terms of just overall raw ability, I, yeah, I do believe James Blackman has it. Tim, Jimbo's doing the appropriate thing with coach speak when he says, you know, that we're going to use the full playbook. We're not going to dumb things down. We've got to do what the rest of the kids do. He's going to have to just, uh, uh, you know, adapt. But in reality, uh, have you gotten any feel? Has anybody said whether he he has a firm grasp of the playbook or whether they will have to maybe eliminate some things or change some things in order to accommodate his inexperience? Uh, that's a really good question, uh, and and I, to be honest with you, I don't know the answer. I I do know that um, I don't believe that Jimbo Fisher wants to do that, uh, and I think his historical track record suggests more often than not, and he might tailor things to a guy's skill set a little bit more, but but he wants to run his offense, and I think that's been the case uh, for really his entire career here. So uh, I don't know that we'll have an answer to that until until Saturday. To be quite honest with you, I think conventional wisdom suggests that he would, but but again, uh, you know. He doesn't necessarily want to do that. Um, so we'll see. I think if, if anything, you know, maybe the offensive game plan might be a little more or, or, or a little less aggressive just uh, based on who's coming next week. You know, we've seen in the past uh, a, a bit more of a a, um, a conservative game plan before a big game to just, just to not put things on film. So maybe that could be in order and, and, and dovetail nicely. But uh, the best answer I guess I can give you is that we'll see. It, it depends. I think part of this week maybe – will be determining what, what James Blackman knows and feels comfortable with and then going from there. I couldn't agree with you more about that point with Miami looming. This is the one time this season that whatever James Blackman does really, really well that they want to keep hidden, assuming that you can do that because you've got to win a game first against Louisiana Monroe, I think they keep it under locks. I think this is a game where they run the ball a lot personally. I know Memphis ran for a ton of yards on them. Part of that was it was windy conditions in that game. But anyway, we'll see how that plays out. Um I guess I'll ask you the obligatory special teams question because it is the elephant that was in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium on Saturday night. Along with the mascot. Uh, That's true. So there were a couple elephants in there. Good point. Uh, Give me reason for optimism here, Tim. Well, let's start with the fact that uh, at least for one game, ULM's kick kick coverage units weren't very good. Uh, They allowed a 99-yard touchdown return to Memphis and another, I think it was a 45-yard kickoff return. Uh, as well, so maybe there'd be an opportunity there for at least the kick return unit to uh, to get some confidence, maybe break a big play, start feeling good about things, and and getting back on that right track. So uh, that's where I would start. I like it. I like it. Um, but that's all he's got. That's all he's got. All right, I'll just, let's just <laughs> let's just move. I'm starting it back to you. I know. No, we'll move the program along. What else impressed you? Uh, or, or 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 let me encapsulate. I think where Keith and I, where a lot of people have been, letting the the game digest. I'm actually pretty excited and optimistic based on what I saw offensively and defensively the other night. Are you in that camp, or I'll just oh yeah, no, I, I absolutely am. I, I thought the final score, I thought it was fair to Alabama, but I don't think it was really indicative of just how close the game was. I mean, that was a, that's a three-point game late in the third quarter, and you could argue uh, really well, in my opinion, that if a few things go differently uh, at the end of the second quarter and early third quarter, the Florida State has a lead late in the second half if some of those drives uh, end with points. Now, granted, you have to give credit to Alabama for making that happen, but you know, if, if you told me, and, and I believe this to be true, that, that Florida State played Alabama pretty close to equal on both offense and defense, uh, yeah, I mean, if you told me that, I, I think you'd be very encouraged, and I thought that the Florida State had a pretty good chance to win the game, and obviously the, the, the special teams put FSU in some, in some difficult positions. And look, Alabama's special teams weren't exactly sharp either. Uh, if, if you notice, they had trouble punting trouble punting and trouble kicking field goals. Uh, and so that's part of it. But, but look, you know, the fact is that's the number one team in the country. That's probably a playoff team. It's almost certainly the best team Florida State's going to play this year. And 
final score notwithstanding, uh, and, and, the, and look, the final score wasn't that bad. I mean, it's not like they lost by 40. Uh, but final score notwithstanding, they went toe-to-toe with them uh, in, in every single, just about every single aspect on, on offense and defense. I, I thought the, the most impressive thing to me uh, on offense was that Alabama really couldn't get a whole lot of pressure uh, with their front four. They tried, and, and FSU was moving the ball pretty well, so they started dialing up blitzes, uh, and that's where things, you know, the, you maybe had some trouble. But look, a lot of teams are going to have trouble dealing with Alabama's blitz. But the fact that that offensive line was able to more than hold their own against Alabama's front four, uh, that means really good things moving forward because not many teams that Florida State's going to face this year. There are some good defensive lines, but I don't know that any are going to be more talented than Alabama's. So uh, that's a really positive sign to me. And I would echo that, Tim. The two two units, obviously uh, we were concerned about the defense. They played very well. But the two units offensively that I had hesitation on was the offensive line and the receiving core. I think you give the offensive line great kudos, and candidly, I think the receiving core exceeded what we thought they might be able to do. Uh, especially uh, on that the, the, the touchdown drive, the 90-yard touchdown drive, uh, I thought they, that they all looked really good. Keith Gavin, I thought, had a, had a really nice game receiving. Um, Nyquan Murray and Auden Tate both made great catches. Auden Tate especially going up over the middle and, and grabbing that ball at the middle of the field and also the, the catch on the touchdown. No, man, those guys showed exactly – the kind of stuff that you want to see moving forward, you might like to see it a little bit more. Uh, and certainly from the offense, you know, you, you want to score more than seven points, obviously. But in terms of what they're capable of, I think they all showed it. You know, also I thought had a really, really nice game. Um, and, and Jim had talked about him. I think it was Monday. Uh, was Ryan Izzo? I, I, he did a great job of just you know being that security blanket, just running a, a quick little straight line and turning around. And, and more often than not, he didn't have anybody around him, and he was able to catch the ball, turn up the field, and and get some yardage. Um, I thought he looked really good, and, and I kind of suspect that. He could play a big role uh, on Saturday, helping get James Blackman acclimated and, and maybe even moving forward. You know, they, they love Dizzo uh, all throughout fall camp, and I think he showed why on Saturday. All right, Tim, rapid fire is coming up. First, we'll grade you. Then we'll unleash this week's quiz. But I do want to mention just across Seminole Athletics, as we're talking with our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, uh, I see that uh, Brooks Kepka and Daniel Berger have both made the United States President's Cup team. So the, the year keeps getting better for Trey Jones and company. Uh, what else do we need to be aware of outside the scope of football involving Florida State Athletics right now? Well, uh, depending on the state of, uh, of Hurricane Irma, which uh, we know that that's sort of a a touch-and-go situation, but soccer has a, a game against uh, Florida scheduled. We'll see how that one goes. I don't know if there's been an official announcement on that. It actually has been canceled due to a hurricane before, so uh, there's a bit of a precedent for that. Uh, volleyball actually has a home match on Friday against the University of Tennessee. That should be pretty cool. Some big schools there, Tennessee uh, and Arizona at the uh, the FSU, uh, FSU FAMU Classic, and then they head to Gainesville next week as well. So uh, lots of big matches coming up against some big-name schools for, for both soccer and volleyball. Well, and not that you shouldn't do this all the time anyway, but uh, check Seminoles.com for the status of uh, said games before you head out to those venues. All right, that said, Tim, first, here is last week's test. And uh, you started out okay, and then it got a little dicey from there. Let's take a listen. It's going to be a coin toss. Heads or tails? Tails. The over-under is uh, 49.5 total points in this game. Which way are you going? Under. Does FSU cover the seven-point spread? Yes. Touchdown passes thrown by DeAndre. Uh, I'm setting the bar at two and a half. Under. Number of designed runs for DeAndre. Seven and a half is where I'm putting that over or under. Under. Number of carries by FSU's top rusher in the game, and I'm setting that number at 16 and a half. Over. Who's that rusher going to be? Chocolate Patrick. Over under 400 yards of total offense for FSU. Under. Over under 400 total yards of offense for Bama. Under. Will Derwin James have an INT? Yeah. Will McFadden have an INT? No. Will Jimbo speak to the media after the game? Here's hoping. <laughs> and he did. And uh, Jimbo seven and five by my count. seven and five. So you're you got a passing grade so far, Tim. And actually, I That's think I was good. wrong. You started out worse and finished better. I, I, I misstated. And, and some of those I was pretty close on. There when James was. Very uh, see, here close you go. Quali- you, here you go qualifying things again. No, no qualifying. I'm saying that the picks are defensible. That's when all. you're in Vegas, there's no qualifying. It either is or isn't. Right. That's fine. That's fine. All right. Shorter quiz this week. Here we go. Okay. Cue up the rapid fire. Tim Linnefeld has done his homework. He's ready to go. James Blackman, touchdown passes in this game. I'm setting the bar the same exact spot I had it for DeAndre last week. Over, under, two and a half. Under. 
number of rushers, individual rushers for Florida State, over 100 yards rushing in this game. And I'm setting that at one and a half. Under. Block kicks allowed by Florida State. Any facet of the special teams, I'm setting that at a half. Good grief. Under. Under. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the crowd for this game, bear in mind that we've changed time, and uh, a lot of folks, uh, pretty much the whole state of Florida, has more pressing matters at hand in, in terms of paying attention to Irma. So I'm setting that number at 65,000. Are we uh, under or over? Can I get a push? Sure, we'll, we'll let you wiggle off the hook. I think that sounds pretty good. All right, turnovers forced by FSU's defense over under one and a half. Over. Will there be a non-offensive touchdown scored by FSU? Yes. All right, there we go. I'm stopping there. That's all I got. I feel good about that one. We had, we had 12, 13 questions last week, whatever it was, 12. Now we're going with six. We're going with six because Louisiana Monroe is not quite Alabama. So that's where we're going to leave it. Tim, we appreciate it. You got it, Tom. He's our Seminoles.com insider. Again, the game has been moved to a 12 noon kick this Saturday, if you are not aware. How do you think? What do you think? Anything you... you, you I, I, I'm with him on all of his answers this week. Okay. So he and I will score the same. Well, that's true. So you've copied Tim, in effect. All right. He is my idol. We will uh, step aside, come back. Don't forget, we'll talk a little bit about uh, Florida State Hall of Fame coming up when William Floyd joins us as we continue on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back. One of the things we haven't discussed yet that has been off-discussed, and there's been plenty of images on social media, was the non-pass interference call at the end of the first half. And you brought up a really interesting point about this. And I think certainly everybody wearing garnet and gold would agree that a flag should have been tossed. Well, even Saban said in his halftime exit interview on national TV, yeah, they, we probably got away with one there. There's there's two things about that. Number one, uh, I've spent quite a bit of time studying the referees and where they're positioned. I just find that fascinating. Uh, the late Doug Rhodes, who oftentimes didn't have real good answers to specific questions, but nevertheless the coordinator of ACC officials, uh, became a, a, someone that I talk to regularly. And, and in that particular play, when you've got a play on the goal line, both of the referees that are in the back are on the end line. So they're 10 yards at least away vertically, and they're both splitting the back. So they're they're also away horizontally, if you want to think about it that way. And neither one of them has a good look. Because they're shielded in a play like exactly. that. Exactly. And remember, too, the umpire used to sit about five or seven yards in front of the center. Well, that position is now back where the referee is. And oftentimes – it doesn't happen often, but oftentimes you and could so- have – and they moved it because of getting caught up in right. traffic in the middle with linebackers making so, tackles. So you could have had an umpire because what happens, he's watching for holding and things like that. And then when the ball's thrown, he will turn and follow the ball. So the ball would have gone right over, if he had been there, right over his head. He could have easily have turned and seen that there was contact made. And You don't really get a lot of uh, uh, PI calls, pass interference calls from the umpire in the old days, but it could have been there. So all that to say the officials were where they were. They were a little bit handicapped, but you made the point which I think is very valid, is it never would have been a foul if DeAndre had gotten the ball where he probably should have put it. Yeah, the, the back of the end zone was wide open. Nooney had to slow down. He had beaten his man. He was a good three yards past his man. And so if that ball is thrown where it's supposed to be thrown, uh, you know, to the end zone, you're throwing high where only the receiver can catch it. And if he misses it, it deflects out of bounds. He left that so far short that Nooney had to put on the brakes, which is why the defender could hit him in that scenario. And obviously, we're, it's very easy for us to be Wednesday evening quarterbacks by saying he didn't put the ball where he should have. You know, he had you know 800 pounds of flesh in his face at the time he was trying to do it. The other point, and this isn't related to where DeAndre threw the ball, but if you do get the interference call, remember, it doesn't go to the one. It goes 15 uh, 
it, it wouldn't have been in the one because it's not the NFL rule. I think it, I'd, I'd have to look at the line of scrimmage. I, I think where. I think if it's in the end zone, it goes to the one. If it's outside of the end zone and you're inside the thirty, it becomes half the distance to the goal line. So you, you you may have had the ball at the one, but you may very well have had the ball at the eight yard line. Right, and I'd have to look at the line of scrimmage to know that. But there would have been 12 seconds left Correct. with no timeouts. So you would have had one, maybe two tries at basically jump balls because you're not going to run it without a timeout. No. You want, and so bottom line, should have it been, should it have been at least 10 to 10 at halftime? I would say yes to that. Not a guaranteed that if you get the pass interference call that you would have had a 14 to 10 lead. Nevertheless, it would have been a huge play momentum wise because remember, particularly in 13, uh, gosh, eight of the 13 games, nine of the 13 games during the, the regular part of the schedule and the ACC championship game, Jimbo was talking about scoring on the last possession of the second half and getting the ball and scoring on the first possession of the third quarter, uh, second quarter and third quarter. And you would have been set up perfectly to do that had you converted and made points there. Yeah. And, and that said, uh, and Jimbo said as such after the game, and I was in the locker room at halftime. There, they he felt completely fine with where they were at halftime, and there was not panic. They were right in the game. They were getting the ball, so everything was good there. Let's talk about another uh, topic here that we haven't touched on yet, and that's the running back situation. Uh, Cam Akers, when he got in, clearly there was more burst than when Jacquez Patrick was there. Jacquez didn't look comfortable. I, I don't. I don't know why. Remember, we talked about Dalvin not looking comfortable. <clears throat> pardon me, in the first half of the Ole Miss game and come to find out for the first game or two, he was still a little bit of a lingering, nagging thing. Not suggesting that Jarquez has an has a injury. I don't, I don't know that to be one way or the other. But he just didn't have that, that burst that we had been told all during the camp that he had, he had shown. Uh, I, I, I don't want to say he was intimidated or frightened or scared or any of those things, but he just didn't look like he was planting that foot and driving whereas when acres got in let's face it he's ignorant naive he doesn't know any better as a freshman he he showed a little burst in there and and uh, you know i i I, again wednesday night quarterbacking i probably would have tried acres a little more given what i know now except that I think the field position and the way the game unraveled in the second half right about really changed what Jimbo wanted to throw the ball early. They were successful. So he had Patrick in there because he's better at pass pro. So now Alabama's looking past. Then you mix in Akers. He has success on the ground. If you had better field position in the second half, I think that would have played no, out right. better. But you're when right. you're backed up, it just it, it, it closed down half the playbook of what you're trying to do. I guess I'm reacting like the normal fan that said, between the two of them, Akers looked like he was doing something. Let's go with the hot hand. But your point But, but how right. do you think it plays out going forward? Because the one thing it did look like, and he has to learn pass pro, but Acres looks as good as advertised. Exactly, but but you don't put two f- true freshmen in the backfield, right? <laughs> you, you, if, well, you, if you got that, Blackman back there, you're going to go with Patrick, right? Or my, my opinion, or you're going to go with two. Or backs. you're going to go with two backs, which we did see some in the second half because of that field position. Yeah, so I'm curious. I mean, how would you, if you're Jimbo right now? So are you freshman quarterback? You're going with Patrick? I'm or going with Patrick, and 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 in certain situations, I'm going two backs, and, and I'll have both of them in there. Yeah offensive line you want to give him some love i mean for all the abuse alec eberly took on message boards and social media for the last several months he's the one guy that you know when they the the nfl folks looked at it it comes out he's the only one who didn't allow a pass rush or whatever or pressure and he he graded out well Uh, jimbo basically said that he he probably had the most outstanding performance of any of the ol um, I'm going to go to a play that I should not talk about, and, and I'm going to illustrate two parts of it. Uh, at the tail end of the ball game, when he got the personal foul, when the little defensive back from Alabama got up in his face and they were offsetting fouls, he looked like he literally picked that kid up and threw him like I would pick up one of my grandchild's uh, baby dolls. <laughs> I mean, he just launched him. And did you notice what happened immediately after that? When they were, the, you know, when, when Eberly and the other kid were at it and the officials were getting there, and you know who was in there clearing out people and getting them back in the huddle? Hmm. Blackman. He had just gone into the game as a freshman, true freshman, and he's in there directing traffic when, when something's going on outside of between the whistles. Well, and I I'll, thought that was impressive. I'll share this story, which I talked about on our Seminole Sunday edition of Front Row Knowles. Before the game, 
you know, 15 minutes before the game, whatever point it is on the clock when the players start talking. And if you watched the Showtime show last year, you know what I'm speaking of. Dalvin would give his talk. DeMarcus would give his talk. Those those were the main two guys a year ago. Uh, Well, as players started to talk on Saturday night, the first voice I heard I didn't recognize – and I was sort of a high pitch voice. I was sort of, <laughs> I was shielded, which doesn't take much because, you know, I'm the five nine guy in there. And so everybody in the locker room is taller than me. But anyway, I peek around to see who it is. And it was Blackman. And he was the first one. And, you know, lots of guys can talk. And it doesn't mean that your teammates are listening. But I could tell that his teammates were listening. And this is before the injury and as the backup quarterback. So that says something to me. It sort of uh, corroborates, if you will, the comments that have come out since from guys saying that he has the it factor or that they, you know, he's got something about him. Well, to reinforce that, let's remember that the only way Blackman got here is through being at Jimbo's summer camps a time or two. He was a three, he's a three-star recruit. He's not a five-star recruit. He was not on everybody's radar. West Virginia came in late mm-hmm. after FSU had offered and he had committed to FSU. Why? He's 6'5", 185 pounds. He comes from Bell Glade, and he wasn't on everybody's radar. But he had been in Jimbo's camp, and Jimbo had seen him throw. Jimbo had been in the classroom with him. Jimbo had given him plays and had him look at plays. And, and on this particular uh, right. situation you're looking this way and his his responses were i see that but don't forget about that i mean everything that jimbo is known for about identifying and recognizing players came to the forefront with blackman because he had the opportunity to work with him in that summer camp and they immediately offered him and within three or four days he immediately committed so he's a three-star quarterback by everybody else's standard but by jimbo's standard he's going to start the second game of his freshman year in Doak campbell stadium it's made this year to me more interesting it's going to be it's it's going to be a little bit more fun of a ride all right coming up the best segment we have ever done on front row knolls bar none Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to the show. If you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. For all your power tool needs, they've got a couple of locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or visit them online at ctf.nu. Keith, do you know who you really need if you've got a do-it-yourself project? I go find Ron. Well, yes, but in a football context, you need a fullback because those are do-it-yourself guys as we go to the Earl Bacon Agency hotline once more and say hello to the best fullback out there, bar none. William, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Good. For those who don't know, because we do have, Keith and I have quite the younger following here, <laughs> and and I'm not going to reveal anybody's age, yours included, William, but how did we get the nickname Bar None? Oh, man. It was uh, my agent. I got to give him credit for it, although I like to try to take credit for it, but my uh, agent, back in 94, and I was in the draft, and um, I was a week late out to San Francisco. I'd just been drafted in the first round, and they were trying to get me out there. My, my uh, agent was adamant in getting me the best deal he could get. So he said, we feel like William is the best fullback in football, bar none. So he's not coming out there until he's paid like that. And it kind of stuck from there. The first guy I saw in training camp was Ken Norton Jr., and he was calling me bar none. I had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of funny. It ended up, you know, it was bar stool. Soap, uh, bar soap, gel bar, everything but bar none until the fifth game of the season until I got my star. So it wasn't given me. I had to actually earn that nickname. <laughs> well, you certainly earned it, and congratulations to you. We're talking with, with William Barnon Floyd. Obviously, uh, he's the, the color analyst on the Seminole Radio Network with Gene. Keith and I get to work with him every week. Um, has it sunk in? Has it sunk in? No, I mean, uh, uh, i I don't know. I mean, I guess it's sunk in a little bit, but it's kind of dampered again, and you don't just just really don't know what's going on. So, as much as I was getting excited about it, I'm kind of, 
you know, curbing my enthusiasm with all that's going on with the weather. So, Well, that makes sense. But, uh, I mean, it's certainly well-deserved. And uh, take us back to how you ended up at Florida State. I mean, where did your connection, your allegiance to FSU begin, William? Oh, man, uh, 1980, 81, when myself and Corey Fuller used to ride our bicycles from over in South City uh, Projects over there on Orange Avenue and play kill to carry outside the stadium while we're listening to uh, I think it might have been Gene just getting ready to call, but I know we used to hear an announcer calling, you know, Bobby Bowden all the time and calling Ron Simmons all the time. And so everybody wanted to be like Ron Simmons. I think I ate raw eggs for a long time because Ron Simmons ate raw eggs. It was the worst thing I ever did in my life. I stopped doing it after probably two weeks. But um, it was a fun day. Ever since I was nine years old, I knew I was going to be a Seminole. I just, you know, I was in Tallahassee and I had love for the school then, and it just, you know, continued to stay with me all the way through. Uh, Pop Warner in high school. Well, William, I, 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 I had the pleasure of playing with Ronnie uh, all four years. By the way, his nickname was Float. Uh, I'll tell you that story sometime off the air, but that was Ron's uh, nickname. How special, take this back, how special, 93, you play in the national championship game. As you mentioned, you're drafted in the first round by the 49ers, and you find yourself playing in the 94 and, and winning the 94 Super Bowl. I mean, that's a pretty special 12-month period right there. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, that was the time in life when you feel like, man, there's no matter when, when you step on the field, there's going to be a championship. And that's kind of the mentality, you know, um, I guess you have to have even to even dream of something like that or have something like that happen. You, you think about championships all the time. That's what you play for. And um, coming right off that championship with Charlie and Brooks and Warwick and all those guys, my teammate, Coach Bowers, first one, and they'd be able to go out and get San Francisco's fifth one, and they haven't won one since then. Um, it was pretty special. And then both of them in Miami, back-to-back years. So I think we obviously stayed in the same hotel. Well, it wasn't the same room, but stayed in the same hotel for the national championship and the Super Bowl. So it was a good deal. Now, we don't see the fullback much in today's game, but uh, back in your day, particularly with uh, Seifert and Walsh, the, the fullback was unbelievably important. In fact, you replaced a, a, a guy or two that had made a name for themselves in the fullback position. Oh, no, yeah. Uh, Tom Rathman, who actually is going into the 49ers Ring of Honor Hall of Fame this year, um, a great 49er fullback, is who I came in and, you know, replaced. And uh, he actually came back and was my coach before I got out of San Francisco. So got a lot of, uh, got to learn a lot from Tom about the game and, you know, just a lot about life. Um, so that was fun. But Bill Walsh is the one who started that whole deal, you know, as far as uh, hitting the fullback out of the backfield, getting the fullback involved in the game because, you know, he felt like if he can get a fullback that can run, catch, and block, um, that would really enhance his offense. And, of course, he saw how it worked out for the West Coast offense. But the fullback was huge in that offense. But, of course, nobody really runs that offense uh, anymore. A lot of variations of it where they use an H-back or a tight end for the same thing you used to do, a, you know, a fullback used to do. So the fullback has really become a dying breed in the NFL. You know what a lot of FSU fans remember about you, William, is that you were always the enforcer. If somebody took a shot uh, that was maybe a half second late or whatever it was, you were going to get your quarterbacks back. And so I'm guessing that started at a young age for you, but you definitely wore the uh, – you, you played that role well. Well, <laughs> but that was, you know, that, that's one of those badges where somebody has to do it. And, you know, Charlie isn't going to do it, you know, because he doesn't speak up a whole lot. He doesn't really talk a whole lot. He's not a vocal guy. And, you know, I, I don't think I've ever seen Charlie lose it on the field. Um so he's not going to say anything about it. And then the linemen don't really see what's going on all the time. Every once in a while, they might get a glimpse to see what's going on behind them. But the fullback is right there, and we're looking back into the backfield, and we're blocking our guys so we can see if somebody takes a shot. And, you know, one thing I learned about is if you don't have a guy back there running the offense who can get it done, you're not going to win championships. And I think I, I had the same uh, relationship with Steve Young out in San Francisco. I mean, you just don't let anybody take touch your quarterback. And I always look at myself as an unofficial offensive lineman anyway. So, Well, well, how would you grade Alec Eberle's uh, ragdoll toss of that Alabama defender from the other night? Well, you know, I would have to tell him to keep his composure because we're on the air. But, you know, inside, I am loving what he did because you don't <laughs> let anybody take a shot at the quarterback, man. You don't let anybody take a shot at the teammate. Well, for those oh. for those that don't know, again, Tom and I, Tom's usually down on the field, but I'm in the booth the entire time with, with William. 
and uh, and occasionally on the air, uh, that uh, enthusiasm will come off. But off of the air, <laughs> that enthusiasm oh, is quite present. And uh, and uh, bar none, I, I, sometimes I feel like I need to remind you, hey man, you're you're a decade or more removed from that field. Uh, I don't know if you want to go back down there and, and entertain it with those boys anymore, but you think you can? <laughs> Every once in a while, man, I get really pumped up and think that I can still back get out there and give them a few plays. I always joke about being able to give them one play, but I don't even think that's official anymore. The older I get, I think that one play turns into a lot of barking from the sideline. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're talking with William Barnon Floyd, who's going to the FSU Athletics Hall of Fame this weekend. Congratulations again. Quickly on the Alabama game and the state of the team right now, general thoughts from you based on what happened in Atlanta and as Florida State gets set for its second game, breaking in a new quarterback. Well, I mean, this is the time where everybody has to step up. You know, I thought defense played superb last week with the position they were put in. So that's what you're going to have to look at. I mean, it goes back to that old philosophy. I don't think anything changes with, hey, if they don't score, they cannot win the football contest. So that's the mentality that defense is going to have to take. And maybe they have to score a few points, you know, to help the, team, to help the uh, offense out. You know, or make sure that it's easy for that young man, Blackman, to come in there and not feel like everything is on his shoulders. So everybody on that side of the ball is really going to have to step up their game. I mean, I like the way the offensive line blocked in the first half of the game. You know, the second half, some things happened. I think we lost focus and kind of lost, you know, focus on the game. But overall, I think they did a great job of keeping Alabama, you know, at bay in the first half. We just have to carry that on. Forget about everything that happened negative in that game. Pull the positives out and move on with the rest of the season. So as far as that's concerned, offensively, everybody's going to have to make sure they do double to make sure that that young man, that quarterback, that true freshman, doesn't feel like all the pressure is on him to win football games. Hey, William, you know, thinking this through, so you, you played with Charlie Ward and Steve Young, and now you sit in the booth next to Gene Deckerhoff. What kind of water do you drink anyway, bud, and where is oh, it? Oh, man, I, you know, I have to pinch myself all the time about that. I always say, you know, I played for the greatest, you know, college coach of football, you know, in football history as far as I'm concerned, Coach Bobby Bowden. And, you know, uh, then I get go out there and play with George Seifert and Bill Walsh is on that staff, so I get two of the best ever in the NFL, and then I get to finish it all off working with Gene Decker off in the booth. Man, I am pinching myself every Saturday that I'm sitting up here in the booth with you guys. Well, now let me be fair because I, I haven't hung out with William a lot. I'm, I'm I'm learning to be part of the posse, but there were a couple of places we showed up in Atlanta on Friday night, and uh, and Mr. Floyd just kind of made his announcement. And we kind of all just walked right on in. <laughs> hey, ain't got my bar none, man. I know how to get us in. That's for sure. <laughs> More importantly, you know how to get us out. That too. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Hey, we'll see you this weekend. Uh, congratulations. Uh, and, and keep everybody safe down your way with this uh, this storm coming. Thanks, fellas. Look forward to seeing you. God bless. Talk to you soon. All right, William Barnon Floyd going into the FSU Hall of Fame, along with uh, Teresa Bundy and Rafiq Curry, who are former track stars at FSU, Greg Grady uh, from men's basketball. Also, Coach Pat Kennedy is uh, getting honored, so congratulations there. India Trotters into the Hall of Fame. I feel like I just called her soccer matches last year, and she's been out since 06, so that shows how time flies. Tony Thomas, I called some of his games too, former baseball player. And then uh, also uh, Larry Strom as the Moore Stone honoree. So what, a, what a great uh, two, two ambassadors. Book end ambassadors william is is phenomenal in his enthusiasm and and larry strom has been a, a staunch supporter of florida state particularly the basketball side but football as well for years and years and years larry and hilda just great seminoles that uh, that live and reside here in tallahassee is, is 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 am i true you can you can sense william wanting to come through the booth uh down to the field when you're on the field oh he says especially when it's a rivalry game if it's florida or miami he swears he's got one play left just suit me up one play i'll take care of it right now monk and i used to talk all the time that if we had to suit up right now we could make maybe the second team we, we probably couldn't play on the first team we could probably make the second team in other words when that timeout was called and that water boy was running out there on the field and turned an ankle monk and i'd be right there as the backup water boys we could get that we could get the h2 out there and get them i was out there and get them hydrated i was wondering whose second team you were talking about <laughs> without a doubt the best segment we've ever done on this show bar, bar none. none we'll wrap it up right after this Need no thoughts control. 
Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. couple of programming notes for you. Again, don't forget that Front Row Knowles Seminole Sunday Edition airs at 9 a.m. and 7 p.m. each and every Sunday for the next 13 weeks now, all through football season. Basically, immediate analysis of what transpired uh, the day before. Uh, and uh, that will load right into your podcast if you're uh, following us uh, or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I encourage you to do that. You can also stream us live on the WTSM app. Uh, you can head to ESPNTallahassee.com and find archive shows under the Audio Vault. Uh, you can Follow us on Twitter at Front Row Knowles and at underscore Tom Block. And you can drop KJ a postcard in the mail because he's still not on I Twitter. I prefer letters. Handwritten. Good luck with that. A <laughs> <laughs> couple minutes to go, KJ. Appreciate William Floyd joining us. Tip of the cap there. Uh, that's that's a nice honor, not just for, for him, but for, for all the uh, honorees. And obviously I'm getting old because now I'm at the point where I remember watching most of these people play. Well, and I, I'm at the point where I'm the same age as those that are getting the, the, the non-athlete award. <laughs> you know, supporters of the program. That would be me. Exactly right. So we got a 12 noon kick. Game time's been moved. UCF moved its game to Friday night. Florida has moved its game Miami to Miami and Arkansas noon. canceled. Arkansas State canceled. Miami Arkansas State canceled. Is that right? I will not be made up. I had not heard that. Mm-hmm. Well, that actually factors in i i thought it quite interesting well so i we've only got a minute and a half here keith and this is far from the most important thing out there because south florida and i grew up down there is potentially in the path of a ridiculously strong category five hurricane so that's where the primary emphasis should be but there's a lot of potential that everybody is going to be so displaced that who knows what Miami's practice structure would look like next week leading up to an FSU Miami game. Right. And, and obviously our first thoughts are, are safety and, and, and well-being of property. Uh, but uh, we'll worry about Miami next week. I think this week the focus is on the uh, war, Warhawks. Is that what they call them? They are the Warhawks. And uh, get a running game going, take some pressure off of Blackman, let him throw the ball a little bit to get used to it. We'll worry about Miami next week. That sounds like a good game plan. I am excited. I mentioned earlier that it's uh, maybe a couple segments ago. This year has become more interesting. I know that the goals haven't changed for Jimbo and his team. Their goal is, you know, it's still process, win every game, one at a time, all that stuff. But from a fan standpoint, it, it's. I think it's going to be interesting to see how Jimbo maybe gets more creative with his quarterback and what it looks like because there's a lot of good players there. I'm not giving you a chance to respond to that because my stopwatch says we're out of time. Understood. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll talk to you on Sunday on Front Row Knowles Seminole Sunday. Enjoy the game this week and stay safe.